Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, Executive Pastor Mitchell Neldon begins a new series about the first step towards wisdom, fearing God. I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat. Uh, just this morning, my son, about 1 o'clock, we celebrated his third birthday, had a party for him yesterday to turn three on Wednesday. He came running into our room. He's a little bit of a scaredy cat, too. He comes running into our room saying, there's a spider in my bed, there's a spider in my bed. And this happens three or four times a week where there's either dragonflies or spiders or he thinks the ceiling fan is a helicopter. I'm hoping he grows out of it. And a couple of months ago when the weather started warming up, we... Uh, me and my, my, my wife and, and Miles, they were gone to, to Lowe's to pick up some stuff, and I was going to go organize the garage a little bit. We just moved to a place that's a little bit more rural than, than where we lived before. And uh, I went out there. I was barefoot. It was warm weather. Ruby, I put her in the back of the Highlander. They like to hang out in the back of the car for some reason, get, got her some food to eat, some, some stuff to snack on. And I go in the garage to get a couple of water bottles for us. And as I walk back, some of y'all know this story, as I walk back, I see this our, our bug traps that look like hot pocket sleeves that were in the garage were moved about three or four feet from where they were, and there was something connecting the two different ones that were side by side. And I looked, and there was a snake inside of there. A, not a small snake, okay? I know my eyes can play tricks on me, but this snake was substantial. It was coiled up in both of those sleeves. The midsection of the snake connected the two. I had walked past it, I don't know how many times, I don't know how, how long it had been there, but the knowing that the snake was in the garage for however long scared me to death. It wasn't the, that moment that the snake was there. It was all the moments before, and I was, my heart was racing. I immediately called Carrie, which is, you know, I, whenever I'm scared, Carrie helps me calm down. I'm scared all the time. So I call Carrie, and she's like, oh, man, what are you going to do? Have you told Ruby? And I said, no way. I'm, I'm not telling Ruby. She will never come outside again if I tell her that there's a snake right here. So then I get a shovel. It takes me about 20 minutes just to calm down. I get a shovel, I get a little tiller thing. Well, first I get a cardboard box, and that doesn't work because I'm too close to the snake. So I get a tiller and a shovel, and, I, and I, I'm a good distance away. I get the end of the shovel, the end of the tiller, and I rake it slowly into the shovel, and I'm walking. We have a gully on the front side of our property, so I'm walking towards that gully. I didn't even, people ask me every single time I tell that story, did you kill it? And I said, no, I didn't kill it. I was too scared. I just wanted to throw it away, so I just take it down to the goalie, and I threw it away, and it died a slow death, probably stuck in those traps. We fear scary stuff. Snakes are scary. You may be somewhat one of those weird people that like snakes. I'm not that guy. Snakes are scary for a reason. A lot of them are poisonous. A lot of them, most of them will bite you. We fear scary stuff, and for a lot of us, there are a lot of things that we fear, some more than others, and it just so happens that when we begin our life of, of trying to pursue wisdom, and that's what we're talking all about this year, is trying to live a life of wisdom, to get wisdom, to pursue wisdom, to be wise people, the first step in attaining wisdom is to fear God, to fear God. God. Larry, uh, a couple weeks ago, and then Jeremy even last week, they brought out a formula to talk about how you can get wisdom. I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the word math formula, I check out. 
I need one step. What's the next thing that I need to do? What's the first step that I need to take? Don't tell me about this plus this minus this over that. Forget that. I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I got a D in calculus, and it, was, it should have been an F. It really was an F, but my teacher was very gracious. I just need one step. What's the, what's the first step that I need to take to be wise? And what the Bible tells us is that the foundation that a wise life is built on, the foundation that wisdom is built on, the first step that you need to take is to fear God. Here's a few verses that, that prove that from Scripture. Proverbs verses nine, or chapter 9, verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Psalms 111.10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom, praise him forever. And Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So that begs the question, what does fearing God look like? Does it look like trying to get tools that allow you to operate from a distance so you can't get too close? Does fearing God look like standing in the corner hoping that God doesn't see you or avoiding him or running away from him? A knee-jerk reaction a lot of times of when we fear and when we're afraid is that we run from the thing that we're afraid of. We hide. We avoid. And that's not the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about. That's not the kind of fear that leads us to wisdom. Now, don't get me wrong. God is scary, and we're going to talk about that next week a lot more. God is scary. However, fearing God doesn't involve running or hiding or avoiding him. It's understandable, though, that because God is scary, and when we approach scary things, when we're around scary things and exposed to things that, that should cause fear, that's a knee-jerk reaction, but that's not what we're supposed to do with God. Just, just to give you, if you don't think God is scary, if you kind of have this lovey-dovey view of who God is. Let's read some scary verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 17. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, I said to myself in due season God will judge everyone both good and bad for all their deeds. Whether you're good or bad you're going to be judged by all for all of your deeds. In Psalms chapter 14 verses 2 and 3, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire race he looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. All of us stand guilty, and God is looking for the non-guilty. He's looking for the innocent. And when he looks on the earth, he does not find one of us as innocent. In Luke chapter 12, and these are the words of Jesus, some scary words. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. All of your dirty laundry will be aired out for everybody to see. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. I love to, this is a sin, I'm, this is confession time for me. I love to, to hear trash talk, and I may like to participate in some trash talk. Gossiping is a problem for me that, that when I am uh, not living a sanctified life like I ought to, I am gossiping. 
I like to talk trash. I've been recent in the last year, somebody, our young people, which I'm not one anymore, sadly, our college students, they started using the term tea. They like to spill the tea, which means they like to gossip. They like to talk trash. I like to spill the tea. I'm not sure if I'm using that right, but here we go. Hebrews 4.13, the writer of Hebrews says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. Those are some scary verses. Because God knows everything. Every sin that you committed, every bad word you've said about somebody, every bad thought that you've had, every intention that was ill, every single motivation that was built towards selfishness and destruction, God knows all of that. And one day you're going to be held accountable for that. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to be held accountable for that. That's scary. You see what I mean by by God is scary. And so you can can understand when people think about God and they wrap their minds around the aspect of God as being this all-knowing, just source of goodness that's also a judge who's going to hold us accountable for the things that we do, both good and bad, and nobody's going to get away with anything. You may have gotten away with some things growing up, Your parents, you may still have some secrets you're keeping from your parents. You may be in your latter years, and you may still have those secrets that your parents never knew about. You may have gotten with some, got away with some things at school. But with God, you're not going to get away with anything. There's not one thing that you're going to get away with. That God holds people accountable. He's just. He has to hold to the virtue of justice because he is the source of justice. And he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. He can do anything that he wants. And he's also judge. He is the one that's going to sit in that judgment over us. That's scary. So you can understand why people may want to hide from God. You may understand why people may avoid God. You may understand why people run from God. And that may be you today. You may be avoiding God. You may be running from him. You may be hiding from him. And let me just tell you, I'm not here to judge you because that's, that's understandable. The verses we just read, if you grew up in a Christian tradition or you just heard about God, you may understand that God is something worth being afraid of. And you may have done some things in your life where you wish didn't happen. That you have fallen short and that you have sin in your life that you know that God is not pleased with. And you know that God is going to hold you accountable to that. It's understandable that you run and you try to hide and you try to avoid God. It's understandable. When I was a kid, uh, my grandparents had this VHS tape. It's called Creepy Classics. It was hosted by Vincent Price. And it was a compilation of all these old school, mostly from the 50s, scary movies. And there was one section of this compilation that scared me to death. It was, I believe it was called I Was a Teenage Werewolf was the name of the movie, starring Michael Landon. He's from, better known from Little House on the Prairie, 
but he was, he was this, at the time, he was a young man, and he played this, this teenager. I guess he was, it was just a section of the movie. I guess he was bitten by a werewolf or something. But he's in gym class, and the, and the bell goes off, and he starts this meta, metamorphosis into this werewolf. And that metamorphosis with the hair coming out and the teeth growing, that scared the four-year-old me to death. I'm, I was looking up pictures. I was going to throw it up there, but it's too scary to show you, if I'm being honest. I looked for about five seconds, and I said, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I would, I would be sitting, and for, I'd, I'd be fine with the blob and the rest of those movies. I'd sit there and watch the section of that, of that tape sitting on the couch. But as soon as that bell started ringing and Michael Landon started turning into a werewolf, I ran behind the couch and I hid. And I was just tall enough that I could peek over the top to check and see when that part of the movie was over. Some of you, your spiritual life is like that. Whenever people start talking about God, whenever people start talking about church, whenever people start inviting you to small group, you turn around, you may be fine. All of a sudden, God starts being talked about, and you run and hide. And you peek over the couch every so often. Okay, are they done talking about it? Okay, I'm going to come out now. I I can continue with the conversation, but I'm out. I'm, I'm running. I'm hiding. I'm avoiding this God talk. That's understandable. I'm not judging you for that. But the message that the Bible has for you, the message that God has for you, the kind of fear that you're being invited into and to participate in is not that kind of run and hide and avoid fear. You may not even know that you're running from God. You may hear that and be like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm here. I'm willingly participating in church. You may be like, Mitchell, I'm, I'm a teacher in Pathway Kids once every four weeks or whatever the rotation is right now. I'm not hiding from God. Some of us are really good at avoiding God even though we go through our Christian routine. Some of you are really good at hiding from God in plain sight. God addresses that all the time through the Bible with his children, with the nation of Israel. He says that you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You may be hiding in plain sight from God. You may be trying your best, but you know that the kind of fear of God that you have right now is one of running and hiding and avoiding. What I hope today is to make it clear how to fix that, how to address that, and how to have the kind of fear that God wants you to have towards him. Let's look at a more academic definition of what fear. This is from Logos Bible. This is, uh, I use this app all the time. I encourage you to download it. No single English word conveys the, the word for fear. No single English word conveys every, every aspect of the word fear in this phrase. And this is true for most of the uses of, of fear in the Old Testament. This meaning includes worshipful submission, reverential awe, and obedient respect to the covenant-keeping God of Israel. I can't even read that without stuttering. That's a little bit complicated. I'm not into formulas. I'm not, this academic definition helps a little bit, but it doesn't help all the way. Let's break it down. Worship. Fearing God involves worship. Fearing God involves submission, it involves reverence, it involves, involves being in all, it involves obedience, it involves respect. All these words, if you break them down individually, hopefully it helps you better understand the kind of fear that God wants us to have for him. 
And there's some scripture that will help us break it down even further, what this kind of fear looks like. And this, just, just to warn you, the story that we're going to look at, it seems like it makes it more confusing of what fear of God is, but hopefully, and I think it will clear it up a little bit. So First Samuel chapter 12, this is the part in the nation of Israel's history. So just give you a little bit, little bit of backstory. God's chosen people, they are the nation of Israel, right? They live in God's promised land at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And they decided they had been ruled by judges because God is their king. He's the ruler. They have these judges. And so they clamor and they say, we want a king. We're done with judges. We want a king. And God's like, I, I want to be your king. And they say, no, 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 no. We want an earthly king like everybody else has got. So Samuel, being God's prophet, anoints a guy named Saul as the first king of Israel. He is the one that, that starts the line of kings. And Samuel has a, a speech that he gives after they anoint Saul and establish him as king. And so this is Samuel speaking. He says, Now if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's command and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. So Samuel describes the kind of fear that the nation of Israel should have. He's saying, you know what? You have this king now, this earthly king. It's because you weren't properly fearing God that now you have really messed up and removed God from, from who should be your king and have gotten this, this flawed man as your king. He's saying there, you need to fear God because you did not worship God the way you're supposed to. You did not submit to God the way that you're supposed to. You did not revere God the way you're supposed to. You weren't in awe of who he is. You weren't obedient to him and you didn't respect him so much so you set him aside and instead you asked for an earthly king. You rebelled. You did all the things you weren't supposed to because you did not fear God. If you fear and worship him the way you're supposed to, you would not be in this mess. And so Samuel decided this was a time of year where it wasn't raining. And so Samuel wanted to demonstrate the power of God. He wanted to make the case for why they should fear God, why he's worthy of fearing. And so Samuel, he calls down rain. He says, God, make it rain. And God sent rain and he sent thunder. And the whole nation saw this happen in a time of where it's not supposed to rain. And they were terrified. They were afraid because they realized that God is all-powerful. He can do anything that he wants to. They realized that he has this justness, that he has this goodness, that they should look to him for that. And they realized, oh, wait, he's going to hold us accountable for doing this thing that we knew we weren't supposed to do. We asked for a king because we wanted an earthly king, even though God is supposed to be our king. We didn't fear him. And now we have this all-powerful, all-knowing, just judge of a God. What are we going to do? All of a sudden, that fear started creeping back into their mindset. And just a couple of verses after that happens, and this is the confusing part. In verse 20 of 1 Samuel 12, Samuel says, Don't be afraid. Samuel reassured them. You certainly have done wrong, but make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and you don't turn your back on him. 
Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that, keep, that cannot rescue you or help you. They are totally useless. He's saying don't continue to run away from God. You should come back to him. You should run back to him. The Lord will not abandon his people. Them, he's, he, the, the people that Samuel's talking to are God's people because that would dishonor his great name, God's great name, for it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. The word that's used in verse 20, and the, for fear, and the word that's, that's used for verse 12, or verse 14, rather, is the same Hebrew word. Fear, or afraid, or awe. It's the same word. In the same small section of scripture, Samuel's saying, you need to fear God. And a little bit later, but, but, but don't be afraid. Don't fear. Fear, but don't fear. So that's a little bit confusing, but it's a good descriptor of the kind of fear that God wants us to have towards him. That our fear should lead to worship, to reverence, to being in awe, to being in submission, to being in obedience, to respecting him, to give what he is due. But don't be fearful in that you run from him. And that when you make mistakes and you reject him and you disobey and you do all the things that you know that you're not supposed to, don't make the mistake of compounding that problem by running from God further and further. Same as you, don't run back to worthless idols. If you have fear of God, don't let that, uh, don't continue to make mistakes and, and turn one mistake into a dozen mistakes. Don't do that. That's not the kind of fear that I'm talking about. Samuel's saying, don't be afraid. Remember that God is a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise-keeping God. And that he promised to never leave us as a nation, to never forsake us as a nation, nation of Israel, not the United States. That's another sermon. He's speaking to his own children, and Samuel's saying, don't forget, you should fear God enough to do these things, but don't be afraid and run away and compound the problems that you've created. So what does all this mean? Maybe it's not any clearer than, than fearing God was for you just a few minutes ago. Fearing God is not running away from God. That's clear. Fearing God is running to him with reverence and obedience. That fearing God is not running away from him, saying, oh, look at all the bad things that we do. God is just, and he's going to judge me. i got to run as far as I can. i got to flee as far as I can. i got to hide. i got to get away from him. That's not the kind of fear that he's talking about. Fearing God and what's described in 1 Samuel, Samuel 12 is not being afraid and approaching God, knowing that you did not revere him, knowing that you did not obey him when you were supposed to, but even though you did not do those things, you can run to him. You can run to God. That you should fear God enough that you don't run away, but you run to him. He's not the boogeyman. He's not out to get you. He's quite the opposite. Paul writes in his letter to the Roman Christians in chapter 3 of the letters to the Romans. He writes to them of why we should fear God and run to him out of that fear. That we should revere him enough and obey him enough to run to him, not from him. 
and how we can even do that. How can we do that? If he's judge and he's just, how can we run to this God that's judge, just, all-knowing, and all-powerful? Paul says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. All these rules that, that you're supposed to obey. As we promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, no matter how far you've run away from God, this is true. You can come to him through faith in Jesus. And Romans 3.23, very famous, is a call back to the psalm that we read earlier. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's none on earth that's righteous. God's not going to find the righteous person. Yet God and his grace freely makes us right in his sight. How does he do this? He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Verse 25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. The thing that God demands because of sin. He demands blood and he gave himself as the sacrifice for sin. He gave himself as the blood payment. For people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed, sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God is being fair. He's just, right? He's this just God. But Jesus, dying on the cross, shows that he was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, like in 1 Samuel 12. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his justness. He, he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. He's an all-powerful, all-knowing judge that is just and the source of goodness, and he's the one that declares what's right and what's wrong, what is sin and what is not, and he gives everyone what they deserve, and that's scary. And they may cause you to run from him, but this is the message that should cause you to run to him. He may be just, and he may be judge, but he's also your justifier. He may be sitting in the rightful place of judging everything that you've also done, but because of Jesus, he's giving you a path to justification. You may be condemned by your own actions and your own free will, but because of Jesus and your faith and dependence on him, you are now justified and free from that condemnation. And your sins and what you owe God and what you owe other people, they're paid for because Jesus paid it on the cross, and that's enough. What God required of you has been paid by Jesus, and he offers it freely. God's just, and he's judge over you, but he's also your justifier. The same person that's going to look at your life and say, it's good enough or it's not good enough, is also the same God that says, I'm freely offering you a way for your life to be good enough when you, when you submit in faith to what Jesus has done for you. And when you stand in, in front of God as your judge, he does not see your sin. He does not see where you've fallen short. But because of your faith in Jesus, he only sees the righteousness of, him, of himself, the righteousness of his son, the good works and the sinless life of Jesus and the death that we all deserve that he already died for, that he paid all that we owe to God. God is just and he's judge, but he's also 
our justifier. When you run to God, that should cause us to not, when we fear God, we shouldn't run away from him. If he's our justifier, we should be running to him. If we know we're going to be judged by this just, all-powerful God, we should be running to God. We should fear him enough to run to him. And when you run to him, you will find a relationship with him. You will find forgiveness. You will find grace. You will find hope, peace, love, and life that you can then share with other people. You may have failed in your life. You may have hurt the people that are closest to you, but Jesus succeeded and he gives you his success. You may be broken, but Jesus can heal you completely. You may be unworthy and you may know to your core that you're unworthy, but Jesus gives you worth because he is worthy. You may be condemned. Jesus frees you from that condemnation. You are riddled with sin, but Jesus never sinned in his life and he offers you that life. Run to him. What does fearing God look like? It's not running from him, it's running to him. God keeps his covenant, and that's a promise that he made in his son Jesus. He promises that when you trust in Jesus, when you depend on him, that we are free from condemnation, and when we stand before him in judgment, he won't see our sin, he won't see where you fall short, he will see his son's righteousness, and he will judge you as perfect as Jesus is perfect. If you've been avoiding God because you know you fall short, well, fearing God is is an invitation. When he says to fear him, it is an invitation for you to draw close to him. To draw close to him as your justifier and as your heavenly father. He wants you to be his son and his daughter. As Jesus was the son of God, because of your faith in Jesus, you are now a co-heir. You are also now a son and a daughter. Fear him enough to run to him and not from him. That's the foundation of wisdom. You may have a hard time understanding how you can begin, no matter where you are in your life, how you can start building your life towards wisdom. The foundation, the first step is for you to fear God. And the first step of that first step is to not run from him, but to run to him as your justifier. Band's going to come back, and we're, we're going to sing a, a new song, and we're going to do something a little bit different. I want you to, the words that are about to be sung, I want you to think about it. I want you to read them. And because of that, I want you to stay put. Don't stand up. Just stay put. And if you need to pray, pray. If, if you need to talk to somebody, go talk to somebody. If you need to talk to me, I'll be sitting right here on the front row. But this morning, I want to make it super clear that this morning is an invitation for you to fear God. And what that looks like is for you to run to him with everything that you are, hiding nothing, bringing everything out in the open because with God, everything is already out in the open. And to run to him, knowing that he has done enough through his son Jesus to make all things right in your life. Not that everything will be perfect, but everything that matters in your life will be perfect. Not that your money problems will be fixed or your health problems or your family relationship issues. Those things will still be there, but God will fix everything about you that needs to be fixed that's only through his power. And you may be looking for for wisdom in other areas of your life. You may be looking for for justification in other ways. You may be trying to do these different things. They're like, if I can do this, if I can do that, you may be grasping at straws. But we know from, from what God has told us is that the only way that we can be justified, the only way that we can be made right, the one path back to him to live the life that God has created for us 
is to run to him and embrace what he's done for us through Jesus, to recognize him as our justifier, and to reverentially, worshipfully submit to him and depend on the work of Jesus, to trust in that, to have faith in Jesus. And when you do that, your whole life will be justified. Your whole heart will be renewed. Your mindset will be changed. The Holy Spirit will live within you. The presence of God will be within you and your new life will begin. Don't run from God this morning. Run to him. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us. Here are some next steps for you to practice this week. Number one, quit running from God. Embrace him as your justifier by having faith and trust in Jesus. Talk to a trusted Christian friend or Pathway staff member or small group leader about what this looks like. Number two, pray for a better understanding of fearing God as we go through this series. And number three, commit to attending all four weeks of this series.